Good morning, friends. My name is Vito, and I'm, uh, I'm a pastor um, in Brooklyn, New York. That's where I live. And um, if you're a visitor here today, uh, then this isn't out of the ordinary for me to be standing up here for you. Uh, you're just a visitor, and it seems regular. But um, as was just alluded to in the prayer, Mark Middlecoff is the lead pastor here, and he is on sabbatical a time away of rest and reflection, and uh, there are a number of pastors who get to do what I'm doing right now, which is a great privilege, which is to come and be with all of you to preach and to lead in the Lord's Supper. I spent the night last night in Southampton with my uh, wife, and uh, I live in North Brooklyn, in a very industrial part of Brooklyn, and so it looked very different uh, to walk around Southampton there, and it's really great, and sometimes when you get out of your environment or something new happens, uh, you can sort of experience some things maybe for the first time or in a new kind of way. And as I was thinking this morning about what I am about to do uh, and what you are all about to experience, we're about to experience this together, I'm going to preach a sermon. Uh, I thought that I would just want to take just a couple of minutes to think about what happens when you preach a sermon and what I think the Bible says happens when you preach a sermon. Will you think, with that, think about that with me for just a second? You don't have any choice. I'm wearing this thing, and you're going to hear my voice. It's going to come out, but just I thought I would ask anyway. Um, I went to school to be a pastor, a preacher. I went there for three years. I've studied the Bible a lot. Uh, but what I'm about to do in some ways doesn't depend upon that at all. Uh, what Christians believe about the Bible is that God has spoken in the Bible. He has spoken in all kinds of ways. And the Bible is poetry and laws and history and, uh, and myths and, and facts and census reports. But that all of it is a way for God to communicate who he is, his love and his care. And when somebody comes and talks about it and tries to speak God's word, that by his power that really happens. What I mean is that what I'm about to do right now is I'm about to speak God's word. God is going to speak to all of us through what I say. Now, that doesn't come from anything that I can do because I can't do it. What we have to ask for is that God would use his spirit and open all of our ears and that he would help me and help all of us so that God would actually talk to us right now in a supernatural way. And that we would be changed the same way that when you sit down with a friend or a teacher or a sister or a brother, that you are actually changed by the presence and love of that person when they speak to you. So I'm going to ask God right now to help us because that's what I want to have happen. We could learn some things today about the passage that I'm about to read. Uh, we could experience some things, but what I want to really have happen is I want God to talk to us uh, through what happens. So that's what I think happens in preaching. God really speaks to us. He's actually going to be here. It's sort of a spooky thing to believe, right? Right here in this normal sort of building, right here on this everyday sort of day, uh, all of us together, God is going to be here with us and speak with us. That's what we're going to ask for now. So would you please pray with me and ask God to be here with us and speak to us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would be with us and speak to us. We need to hear a word from you. We need you to challenge us and comfort us and ask us questions and give us answers and take us by the hand, and we need to hear your voice. So we pray you would do that. You would use this time together, open up our minds and our hearts, and help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at a passage that probably isn't a passage that people look at very often. It comes from the book of Numbers. Numbers is way there at the front of the 
Bible. You may have a pew Bible. Do, many, do you guys have pew Bibles there? So if you want to take a look at your pew Bibles, this comes from the book of Numbers, a book that maybe even longtime Christians maybe don't read too often, but the story that we're about to read actually contains a story that you might know, even if you're not a Christian. It takes up the story of the people of Israel, the children of Israel, after they've been brought out of Egypt. You've seen the Prince of Egypt, right? The Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, the great powers and wonders of God. He has brought his people out of slavery and he has brought them into freedom. But everything isn't great right away, which is something that we all probably would do well to learn again. When God gives you freedom, when God gives you salvation, everything doesn't get perfect right away. And the people are brought out into the desert and what happens is that they get hungry. They realize they don't have enough food. God provides food for them, but they start to remember the ways that they were fed in Egypt. They start to remember the food. And so I want us to look at this passage and this story because food is such a central part of the story of the Bible. It's a central part of God's love and care for us. If you go to the very beginning of the Bible, you see Genesis. What is the first sin? It's about something that someone shouldn't have eaten. God says, I'm going to feed you in this way, but not in this way. The very first sin is about food. If you go to the very end of the Bible, you find again that God is going to heal the whole world. And the very last thing that's going to happen is that God is going to come in the person of his son, Jesus. And there's going to be what? A great wedding feast, a party. And all in between, we see food. Whenever you see food in the Bible, pay attention. Something important is going on. And that's what happens in Numbers 11. Let's take a look at it together, beginning in verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taberah because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed in its appearance, like that of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in handmills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. The taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Dear friends, this is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and it's been given to us in love and for our good. So food. Um, I'm the main cook in my house. My wife and I have worked it out that she is the one who cleans up after I cook and I'm the one that cooks. And I do this because I love to cook. I grew up in an Italian house where love is communicated with food. And it's something that I love to do. I really love to prepare meals for family and friends. But if you're a cook, you know that sometimes you get home after a long day of work and you open up the pantry and you just can't figure out what to make. Nothing looks good, right? Look in there. There's that box of pasta that's been in there for a long time. The spaghetti. You're thinking maybe you would do that. There's the tomato can of tomatoes. But you realize you just had spaghetti a couple nights before. My son Isaiah comes into the kitchen. Dad, what are we having for dinner? Keep looking. 
see a can of salmon. We're having salmon burgers. <laughs> salmon burgers? Yeah, we're having salmon burgers. I hate salmon burgers. Let's have cheeseburgers. But there's no meat in the fridge, and I don't feel like going out. You know, sometimes there just isn't anything good to eat. You just don't think you're hungry for anything. A few months ago in the New York Times, they did a whole issue. Maybe you saw this. And the title of the issue is, What Should Children Eat? Did anybody see that? They just talked all about eating and what children should eat and what children eat around the world. And some of the articles were sort of intuitive. You would know exactly what was going to be in the article. Like one of the articles had to do with developing a creative palate in a child. For a child to learn how to eat things that were healthy and creative and have a diverse palate, then what you need to do is very early on, help your child to learn to eat creative and different foods, healthy foods. You have to develop a palate for good things. And then the flip side of that is, they talked about the fact that if you give a child, say, a very sugary breakfast, that the child will begin to develop a craving for it, develop a need for it, and want that. I mean, it's kind of all intuitive, obvious stuff. But it's also kind of scary stuff, and here's why it's scary. Because it means that our bodies, our mouths, our desires, sometimes we will want things that aren't good for us. Sometimes we will actually crave things that are not healthy for us. You want the processed food. You want something sweet. This happens in children. It happens in adults. It happens sometimes in things that aren't food. We want something. We desire something. It seems so good, something that isn't really good for us at all. And sometimes we think it's just okay, we'll just have that thing, but it begins to accumulate. And I know this is a crowd of some folks who are a little bit older and some folks who are a little bit younger. Those of you who are under the, say, the age of 35, what I'm about to say to you, it's not going to make any sense to you at all. But if you're like me and you're a little bit older, this is going to make sense to you. You know, when you go to the doctor and the doctor says, I'm seeing here and it says you have really high cholesterol, you're going to have to do something about it. And you say, yeah, 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 I know. And they say, no, you have to do something about this. Sometimes that extra thing that you want to eat that isn't so good for you, say it's not a big deal until it really becomes a big deal. Sometimes we will want things that will eventually kill us. Would you take a look at verse 4 with me? Verse 4, the people are hungry. The rabble those among them had a strong craving. They wanted something. What did they want? The people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. See, this is an example of the people of Israel craving what will kill them. They're craving this food that is not... Well, actually, it actually looks pretty good, doesn't it? It actually looks like a farmer's market that you would pass here. I mean, reading this, like the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks... And this looks like a great recipe to me. You know, you roast the fish with leeks and garlic and onions, and it's roasted and it's kind of crispy, but you want a cool counterpoint to that, right? So you have melons and cucumbers. This is a great meal. What am I talking about here? This isn't going to kill them. And better yet, it's free. Did you see that? They don't have to pay anything for us, for it at all. I walked by a few restaurants last night in Southampton. I did not see a meal like this that would be free. They don't have to pay a dime for it because it's great. Slaves don't have to pay for anything. Slaves don't even have to carry money. You don't pay for anything when you're a slave. You just wear the clothes that are given to you and you do what you're told and you eat what you're given. 
The food that they eat is free because they're not free. They want to go back to a place where they don't have to pay for anything because they're in slavery. And that's the food that the Israelites want to go back to. Now, here's where it gets a little complicated. Because the food that they want to go back to really is good. Fish and garlic and onions and melon. But here's the terrible truth. God can take beautiful things. There can be really good and beautiful things, and they can either nourish you or they can kill you. It isn't so black and white as we wish that it was. Sometimes you can be hungry for something, and it can be good, and it can really bring great health and beauty and holiness, or it can be a source of death. And right here is a place where the Israelites want to go back, and they want to eat this thing, and it's good, but it can kill them because it's going to take them back into slavery. Because relatively speaking, it's very easy to bring people out of slavery. It's much harder to take slavery out of people. It took great miracles and great power for God to bring them out of slavery. But it's going to take God's power and miracles to bring slavery out of them. Because slavery is a metaphor that's used in the Bible all over the place when you want something and are controlled by something and you just can't do anything about it. The Bible again and again says it's slavery when we want something that's going to kill us, even something that might seem good to us. We have slavery to pleasure. We have slavery to our own pride. Some of us have slavery to self-loathing. We kind of gnaw gnaw on it in the corner of our minds. We can have slavery to all kinds of things, a desire for things, a craving for something that actually will kill us. We want it because we want to get fed. And it's complicated because God is the creator of all things. And like I said, these are good things. Fish is a good thing. Melons are good things. Cucumbers are good things. And we wish that it was easier. We wish that somehow it would be very black and white. We wish it could be like, you know, under the sink. There's a bottle and it says, do not eat this. This is poison. This is bad. And nobody wants to eat or drink bleach or something that will kill us. But it's not that easy, and not in our spiritual lives, not even close. Because some of the things that feed us, that we crave, they could either be good or they could be bad. Is owning a big and beautiful, luxurious house, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is that something that will feed you and be good, or is it something that will feed you and actually kill you? Well, it could be either one. It depends on how you're using it. It depends on how God is playing a role in it. A vocation that you really love, something that you're called to. Maybe you're an artist, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a doctor. Is that a good thing? Is that something that can feed you and bring great holiness and health to your life? Or is it something that can kill you? It depends. It depends on what role God plays in that thing. It depends on who you're doing it for. It depends on the place that Jesus has in it. Or a relationship, a relationship with a loved one, a child, or a spouse, Is that a good thing? Is that something that will feed you and bring holiness and health? Or is it something that could kill you? It depends. It depends on the place that God has in it. How about doing good? Even doing good for a church. How about being a pastor? How about serving in the children's ministry? Is that a good thing? Is that something that will feed you and bring health and holiness? Or is it something that will kill you? It depends. Because sometimes we might do things for an entirely wrong reason. We might do things in a way that we crave, but will actually kill us. And that's what's at issue, because it's not the things themselves. It's not what you feed upon. It's why you feed upon it. And it's who you feed upon, because you and I can only ever be fed by God himself. He'll take these things, and he will feed us. 
He'll feed us with the great blessings that he gives us of relationships and vocations and material goods. Those are all good things. But unless they come from his hand and unless we really love the one who's giving us those things and not the things themselves, it has to be him. We can feed on and crave all those lovely things. And unless we know that they're coming from his hand and unless we're giving them back to him, it'll kill us. Because we can crave and love things that will kill us. And the flip side of that too is sometimes we will not love and crave and feed upon the things that will really give us health. In that same article uh, in the New York Times about children and their eating patterns, they did this really amazing, I don't know if it was an experiment, but they did this sort of event. They took six second grade children from PS 295 in Brooklyn and they took them to a seven-course tasting menu at Danielle. It's $300. And they filmed it. And this video is actually on YouTube or the New York Times site. You can find it. They took these six kids. And they ate the food that is the most delicious, most luxuriously prepared, most wholesome organic food in the whole world. And you know what? They hated it. Every course, they hated the best food that money can buy. They didn't like it. One of the best chefs in the world, one of the best restaurants in the world, best ingredients in the world, and it was all free. It was all completely free. They didn't have to pay it. And you can see, and they're bringing out course after course, and they say, what is this? It's fish eggs. Fish eggs? I'm not going to eat fish eggs. Some of them didn't eat hardly any of it. They would eat one bite, no. They'd bring the next course, no. Finally, the very last course, they made them this delicious non-alcoholic sweet drink. They all drank that. Sometimes the best food in the world can be right in front of you, the stuff that can really feed you, and you don't want it. Take a look at verse 6. Now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Manna. God's bread. They don't want God's bread. Can you imagine if God made a meal for you? How delicious that would be. I would guess that many of you are great cooks. I would guess that many of you host one another in each other's homes, and it's a great privilege to feed one another. And I bet you guys are great cooks, but nobody is as good as God. Can you imagine God making a great meal from you? Bread from heaven, the food of angels, and they got to eat it. And do you know what they said after a while? We're sick of this. We don't want it. They pushed it aside, just like those children. We don't want it. We don't want God's bread. We don't want what angels eat. How could you ever get tired of that? How could you get tired of feasting upon what God gave you? Can you imagine that? I can't imagine it, but actually I can because sometimes I get tired of the ways that God feeds me. I get tired of it. I don't like reading my Bible sometimes. I have to go back to the Bible. God's word, I get a little tired of it. I get tired of praying. I get tired of praying and feeling like maybe God is listening, but it doesn't quite feel like he is. But maybe he is. And I get tired of it. Or I get tired of coming to worship, which is really bad for a pastor. <laughs> because even if I get tired of worship, I still have to come and I have to look like I am enjoying it. I can't be there and be like, oh, what's the matter? I don't know. I'm just sick of being here. <laughs> I can't say that. Sometimes I get tired of serving other people. I used to host a home group. I've hosted lots of home groups in my life. This is years before I was even a pastor. The home group started at 7.30. And if somebody 
dared to push my buzzer, it, even at 7.29, oh, it made me so mad. I'd get home from work, be preparing. Eh, oh. Hi, oh, I'm so glad you guys are here. This is amazing. Oh my gosh, God is so good. Come on in, this is great. No, 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 I'm glad you're early. This is really wonderful. God sent people made in his own image to my house to love me and serve me. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to. How can we get tired of that? How can we get tired of God's word and God's love and God's care and God's presence? We're just tired of it. Why would we get tired of being fed by him? Maybe it's because we're so used to getting fed by other things. Our palate is so messed up that we feed upon all sorts of other things so that when God really does feed us with his presence and his love and the scripture and with people around us, uh, we don't want that. Our palate's messed up. We've been eating the wrong things. Like when I was a kid, I didn't eat any kinds of fresh vegetables or fruits at all until I was about 17 years old. I wouldn't eat them. I wouldn't eat a strawberry. It drove my dad insane. But I would eat strawberry candy. Because if you take a strawberry Jolly Rancher and you eat it, it tastes so sweet. It tastes like this amazing little burst of sweet, sugary deliciousness in your mouth. If you've ever eaten a strawberry after you've eaten some kind of strawberry candy, it doesn't taste very good. Fresh vegetables, fresh fruits, we just don't know sometimes what's really good. Sometimes we think we know what something good is supposed to taste like. Sometimes we think we know what something like hope is supposed to taste like. Sometimes we think, I know when God's presence is going to be here. I'll know it when I taste it. But sometimes our palate is just messed up. We think we know what hope is going to taste like. We think we know what joy is going to taste like. You know when joy is happening in your life, right? Maybe sometimes you don't know. You say, if it's going to be joy, it's got to be like this. It's got to be with this person in this financial situation. And it's going to appear like this. And I'm going to have to work like it, for it like this. But sometimes maybe we don't know. Maybe we don't know what's good for us sometimes because we aren't really being fed. Maybe sometimes we think it's not about being fed. And this is, I'm speaking mostly to those of you who are Christians. Maybe not everybody here is a Christian and that's okay. But if you're a Christian, sometimes maybe you're tired of being fed by God because you're not really getting fed. Maybe you think it's more about you feeding others or feeding yourself. What I mean is that sometimes maybe you and I build our spiritual lives dependent upon what we do. Well, I'm praying in this way. I serve here. I help out in this ministry. We think that our spiritual lives is dependent upon how we feed other people. Maybe that's what you and I sometimes have adjusted our palate to. That's what the spiritual life is about. Being a good person, doing the best that we can, that's what it's built upon. And the feeding that we get, it doesn't seem like that's what we really need. But did you know that you'll never really fully be the person that God wants you to be on the side of heaven and he loves you anyway, wants to feed you? Do you know your prayer life will never be really where it should? You know you're never going to get there, and God wants to hear from you anyway. You know you will never be faithful enough? Never. John the Baptist was more faithful than you. And Jesus said he was the greatest, most faithful person under heaven. So he's already won the most faithful Christian award. You're never going to get it, and God loves you anyway. To belong to God means to be fed by God. Not that you feed others. Not that you feed God. Not that you feed yourself. 
I want you to think about the most prominent places you can think of in the Bible where God feeds people. Can you think of that? Where God feeds people. God feeds people who are grumbling in the desert. They're complaining. They don't like being free anymore. They want to be enslaved. He feeds them anyway. This young couple plans a wedding. They don't plan for it very well. They don't have enough money. Money's tight. They didn't do a good job planning. Jesus makes them a whole bunch of wine. It doesn't matter. He makes it for them anyway. The night before Jesus was betrayed, all his friends were going to leave him. He feeds them anyway. Friends, that's the good news that I came to tell you. That God is going to feed you, not because of what you do, but because he is so generous, because he loves to feast with his friends, you, his friends. That's how we get fed, not by the things that we do, but God feeds us when we don't deserve it, and God feeds us with himself because that's the kind of God he is. The night before he went to the cross, Jesus wanted to have a party, and he wanted to have it with his friends. Do you know why he did that? Because he wanted to feed them. He's about to go and suffer for the sins of the world. He himself is about to go and be hungry and thirsty on the cross. And before he leaves, the last thing he can think to do is, I've got to feed these people. They're going to need it. And in a way, I think he needed it too. He wanted to be with his friends. He wanted to feast with his friends. He was humble enough to say that he is God incarnate. He is God's son. And he wants to be with these goofy, stupid, unfaithful people. He wants to feed them. Because he loves them. And that's why I'm really glad. Every time I've come here, you guys always have the Lord's Supper. What are the requirements for the Lord's Supper? You have to be hungry. That's what you have to be. You just have to be hungry. You don't have to do something. You don't have to prove something. You don't have to, you just have to be hungry. You have to want to come and be fed by Jesus. In some ways, you don't even have to know that you're hungry. Sometimes we don't even know that we're hungry. You don't even know the deepest spiritual hunger that you have. That's okay. If you would like to be fed by Jesus, then you come. My favorite example of Jesus feeding somebody in the Bible is that he feeds Peter. His good friend Peter, who made mistake after mistake after mistake in the service of Jesus, and then he makes the biggest mistake of all. He denies even knowing Jesus. And Peter sees Jesus after he's been raised from the dead. And can you imagine that Peter would be pretty anxious about that meeting? Would you be anxious after you have denied Jesus? And then you see him walking and he comes up. And do you know what Jesus does? He gives Peter some fish. He gives the fisherman some fish. He gives the man whose job it is, whose vocation is dependent on feeding other people with fish. He says, I'm going to ask you to feed my sheep. So I'm going to have to feed you. Maybe one of the reasons that we miss God's feeding is because the feeding that he gives us just kind of looks so normal. Would you take a look at verse 7? Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of bdellium. Do any of you know what manna looks like? I do. It looks like coriander seed. Just when you ground it up, it looks very, very normal. It looks unimpressive. It looks like something that they would have seen all the time. Coriander seed, just very normal stuff. And how did they get this magical bread from heaven? The wonderful ways that God provides supernaturally. How did they get it? Look at verse 8. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars or boiled it in pots and made cakes. Does that sound like a miracle to you? Does that sound so awesome and amazing? No. 
And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. That's not impressive. And when and how did it come from heaven? With trumpet fanfare, were angels bringing it down? Was there a glorious choir? No. Look at verse 9. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Just every night it just came. This normal stuff that didn't taste all that amazing. The way that the bread of heaven is described means that God can feed you all. That means the things that we really need, it can be unimpressive and common. It means that sometimes you have to work at it. And it means that it can come in a totally normal way. It means it might just come in a meeting that you have with somebody. It means it might come in serving in some way. It means that it might come just sitting in this place right here with the normal people, regular everyday people that you see, with a normal everyday pastor. God is going to feed you in these really mere, subtle ways, but it's going to be his feeding. And that's what we need to feed on the most. We need to feed upon him. Every gift that we have comes from his hand. And the hunger that we need to develop is for that. You and I need to ask God to feed us. And again, that's why I love that you celebrate the Lord's Supper every week. It's a way for you and I to remember. I'm going to come down here. I'll do the rest of this from here. Can you hand me a bulletin? Thank you. Here, I'll just bring mine. I'll get mine. This bread and this wine, it's not special. It's not terrific. It's just, it's a sign. It's a foretaste of the ways that God is going to feed us in the future. But he's even going to feed you with it now. Because when you come up here and when you feed upon it, you're going to be remembering that on the night that our Lord's betrayed, when he gathered together with all his friends, his friends he knew would run from him, he fed them. And he said, this is my body which is given for you, that this is my blood which was given for you, and that he's going to promise to be with them to the end of the age. That promise extends to you too. So that's why this table is set here in this church every week as a reminder that you and I are fed by God and even as a way to be fed by God. When you eat this bread and when you drink this cup, we are giving God's presence in a really normal way, in a really average way, in a common way. It might not be amazing. It might not be so transcendent. But it's God himself present feeding us. This is a table for people who know that they are hungry, who want to be fed by Jesus. If you're a baptized member of this church or any other church, if you desire to be fed by God, if you want to be nourished by him, then you are welcome at this table. If this is a table where you're not really sure if Jesus can feed you or if God is really anxious to feed you or be present with you, then take this time to think about the fact that God really does want to invite you to his table to be present with you. Use this time to reflect on the offer of God's love to you, the bread of heaven which comes down for you. The way that it's done in this church is that you come forward and there'll be two lines. First, eating the bread, taking the bread, I'm sorry, not eating the bread, taking the bread, and then taking the cups. I was told that there were, let's see, is this true? that there would be bread, I'm sorry, wine and non-alcoholic grape juice. And it's true. It's true. If you'd like to take wine, it will be the darker, it'll be red. And if you'd like to take non-alcoholic grape juice, it's white and it's on top. 
When you come forward, please take the bread and then wine. Don't uh, partake up here. Take it back to your seats and then we will eat and we'll drink together. Would you please pray with me? We're going to pray, Father, that you would be here present in this meal. This is normal bread. This is just regular old bread cut up by human hands. This is wine and grape juice made by human hands. But we are going to trust now that you'll place your hands on it, that you would uh, transform it to be for us the body and blood of your son Jesus, a nourishment for us to really be fed by you. And we pray, I pray you would take my words, take all of the thoughts of our hearts and help us um, to know that we have been fed by you in a way that will give us eternal life in the future, but even now. Feed us now with this meal to begin to become the people you want us to be. We know that coming here to this meal, it's not required that we get better or make ourselves better, but we believe that you can heal us and make us whole and walk with us in this meal. So set these elements apart from a common to a sacred use that the bread we break and the cup we bless would truly be for us, the body and blood of your son Jesus. Come now, Holy Spirit, and also prepare us and help us to receive this meal with gratitude and joy that you are such a good God that you feed us, you don't leave us hungry. And we pray these things in Christ's name, amen.